I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. Today's thought from above is this. You are God's masterpiece. If you missed the pod episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on good, beautiful, and true thoughts, on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy. And that is why we do this podcast, to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. In the last episode, I talked about how we are significant, that we, when we encounter Jesus, are shocked into our significance, our value of who we are. And I talked a lot about false narratives, false self-narratives that really, really hold us back. I listed a number of them. And I want to talk about some of the other ones I talked about but didn't go into any detail about. So let's just dive in. Here's a toxic narrative I mentioned in the last episode. No one could really love me as I am. Or, if people really knew me, they could not love me. This is a really, really common narrative. Because we know ourselves, we know our sin, we know our brokenness. And so therefore, we think, wow, if someone really knew me, they couldn't love me. I, I put my best face forward. I, I do what I can. I try to... to manage people's impressions of me, but if they really knew me, well, they, they couldn't love me. Well, here's the true narrative. I'm loved unconditionally by God. One of my favorite characters in uh, Christian history is Teresa of Avila. I love reading her, her writings, and especially I've loved reading her autobiography. But Teresa talked about how um, she entered into the convent at the age of 20 as a young woman and she was trying to earn God's favor, and she felt very distant from God. For 19 years, she felt this way. She felt like God could not possibly love me. There's no way that God could really love me as I am. And something profound happened to her when she was 39 years old. So think about that. 19 years she's been in the convent, living this religious life daily, trying to connect to God and feeling distant. And this is, this is what she says. A feeling of the presence of God came over me unexpectedly, so much so that I could in no wise doubt that he was within me and that I was wholly absorbed in him. Teresa said that it's almost as if Christ really overwhelmed her with his love. And she later wrote this poem, and I have this in the book, The Good and Beautiful You. This is a great poem. She says in this poem, how can I gaze into his omnipresent eyes? Isn't that a great opening line there? We think about that. How, how could I possibly look into the face of God? Because God knows all of my sins and brokenness. And so she says, how can I gaze into his omnipresent eyes? She goes on. I spoke those words with all my heart, but then he sang again, a song even sweeter. And when I tried to shame myself once more, listen to that line, 
when I tried to shame myself once more from his presence. God showed me his compassion and spoke a divine truth. I made you, my dear, and all I make is perfect. Please come close, for I desire you. Teresa Avila had one of those shocks of grace I talked about last time. She had an encounter with Christ that was so profound that she went from shame to saying, I am the beloved. That's a big move to make, to be able to say, I am God's beloved. Here's another narrative I talked about last time. I can't be forgiven for what I've done. Again, this is a very common narrative. I meet people, and as they share their lives, they'll talk about something that happened to them, something that they've done, and they just think, I could never be forgiven. Or it's the cumulative effect of all of their sins over many, many years, and they think, I've just done so much bad, there's no way I could possibly be forgiven. Here's the true narrative. In Christ, I am forgiven forever. One of my favorite stories in church history is about John Wesley. Of course, I'm a Methodist, so I love Wesley a great deal. Read just about everything he's written. But Wesley's story, which is known by many of you, I suspect, uh, goes like this. So John Wesley was the uh, son of an Anglican minister and the grandson of another Anglican minister. So he grew up in the, in the church And he was a very serious, very devout young man. And when he went to Oxford, uh, he and his friends started what they called the Holy Club. And they wanted to just do as many spiritual disciplines as they could, trying to get God to love them, trying to earn God's favor, and failed miserably. And even in the midst of failure, Wesley decided to go into ministry. Oh, boy. So he goes to Georgia. He, He takes a ship across the Atlantic, goes to into America, goes into Savannah, and he's there working in ministry, and as you can expect, it's a dismal failure. He's a legalist, he's dark, he's grim, it's terrible, he's judgmental, he gets run out of town. And he gets on a ship going back to England. And while he's on the ship, he meets these people called the Moravian Brethren. And they they were pretty devout Christians, but they really, really trusted in God's grace and God's love. And so when the ship encountered this huge storm, and Wesley was certain the ship was going down, that it was, they were not going to make it through this storm, um, Wesley was clinging to the mast. But what were the Moravian brethren doing? They were singing hymns with joy. And Wesley thought, they're crazy, but I want that craziness. I don't know what it is, but I'd like to have it. So when he gets back to England, he goes to one of their meetings, and they had a meeting on Aldersgate Street, and it was the, the Moravian Society, and a guy named Peter Bowler was reading uh, Luther's preface to Romans. And he's just reading it. He's just reading it. But Wesley has an encounter with God that is very profound. And he writes in his journal that night, May 24, 1738, In the evening I went to a society in Aldersgate Street. About a quarter before nine, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and had saved me from the law of sin and death. We think about this as Wesley's heart-strangely warmed experience. But really, what's at the heart of it? At the heart of it is this sense of an assurance, as he said, 
was given me, that Christ had taken away my sins, even mine. And his heart was strangely warmed. And what happened? Wesley would, from that point on, have a ministry that would turn England upside down. I mean, the, the Methodists grew so rapidly in the 18th century all across England, and then it came to the United States. And so two of the great leaders, um, Francis Asbury and Thomas Koch, came to the United States and brought Methodism all the way across to the, to the plains. And in the year 1850, this is a great little fun fact, in the year 1850, there were more Methodist churches than post offices in the United States which is fascinating. Well, what happened? Why did it spread? Because it was a powerful message of love and grace. And it just caught a hold of people's lives. That spark, that shock of grace that Wesley felt May 24, 1738 was far-reaching. It's really quite, quite profound. One more narrative that is really haunting for people. I and everyone I know will die and will no longer exist. It is that great fear of our mortality. Let's try this narrative on. All is well, and all is well, and all manner of things shall be well. Now that line, I didn't write that, comes from Julian of Norwich. Julian, another one of my favorites in Christian history, was this woman who was also very devout and connected to God, and she wanted to just live a life of surrender to God. And she was called an anchoress, which is a kind of a strange title. But in, back in the day, what that meant was they would build these rooms uh, connected to a church. And so she lived her life in this one-room little building connected to the church. There was a window going into the church so that she could you know, participate in the church services. And then there was a window outside so people could come to her for spiritual counsel. And so she lived her life very, very devout and praying but she also felt distant from God. And like Teresa of Avila and John Wesley, she had a very profound experience that really changed her understanding of God and life and herself. And of all things, it happened when she was looking at a hazelnut, just a, just a hazelnut. I don't know where she got it, but she was staring at this hazelnut and meditating on it and praying over this hazelnut in her hand. And this is what she wrote. In this little thing, I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second, that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. And then she concluded, all is well, and all is well, and all manner of things shall be well. So God spoke to her through a nut, <laughs> through a hazelnut. And she looked at it and thought, wow, this little hazelnut, it's perfect. Like God made this, this hazelnut. It seems insignificant, but God made it, God loves it, and God keeps it. And she then concludes, all is well, and all is well, and all manner of things shall be well. Now, what's the point? The point is that we're not going to die, not in the sense that we think that we're not going to exist. Jesus said, those who follow me won't even taste death. And he proved that in his own resurrection. And we have that in Colossians 3, which is what this podcast is based on. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. People often say, yeah, but what's heaven going to be like? I remember one time a woman in one of our classes asked Dallas Willard that question. So, well, Dr. Willard, tell us, tell, what is heaven going to be like? 
I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, we don't know, but this we do know. Our God is very good and very beautiful. And so we can, we can know this. Whatever it's going to be like, we're all going to say, this is a great idea. <laughs> and the whole class kind of cracked up. And I've never forgotten it because, well, we don't know, but we do know who God is. And so when we can then infer that whatever it's going to be, it's going to be something we're all going to go, hey, this, this is a great idea. And we will be reunited with those that we love and have lost. That is the promise that Jesus gave us. And we live with that. That is the true narrative. A lot of people will say, I hear this phrase a lot, I just want to be the best version of myself. And what I often will say, if I feel like I can to this person, if I'm comfortable and they're comfortable with me, is I'll say, well, you know, the best version of yourself is the Christ form of yourself. The truest form of who you are is the person that you are in Christ. When you really understand your significance, your value, your worth in Christ, and that, by the way, that was Paul's favorite way of talking about who we are. I mean, that's how he identified. I think it's 89 times Paul uses the phrase in Christ or Christ in us. When we understand that's who we are, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The truest form, the best version of who I am is in Christ. And we begin to see just how significant we are. I love this quote by Frederick Buechner. He says, The grace of God means something like, here's your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. Oh, that was a shock of significance for me when I read that line many years ago. And here's another one I love. This comes from Macrina Weiderker, and it's really a prayer. And her prayer is this, Oh God, help me to believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. Oh, that's worth repeating. Oh God, help me to believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. And that's a prayer because it's hard for us to believe the true beauty of, of who we are. You are. You are God's masterpiece. You're divinely designed, deeply loved, fully forgiven, been made alive. You have a sacred story. You have a unique calling. And you will be glorified with Christ forever. That is who you are. And I pray that you will begin to see other people in that way, not just yourself, to see every person that you meet in that same light. A person that I've come to dearly love named David Nelson, he's come to the Apprentice Gathering from the very beginning, and he has a powerful story. And his story is this, that uh, many years ago, he, he, he lived most of his life just kind of a he went to a Methodist church, and he just kind of went through the motions. Didn't really believe, just went to church, and he wasn't really engaged in it. But he thought, you know, church is a pretty good thing for society, so I'll do it. But then he had a very profound experience, and it happened when he had surgery. He had a brain surgery, and um, he had this, this tumor removed, and there was a lot of risk with that, and he wasn't sure if he was going to live. He wasn't sure if he'd be paralyzed. He, there was a lot of concern. But he had the surgery. 
And when he came out of the surgery, as the anesthetics were wearing off, he was waking up. This is what he said. He wrote this to a letter to Megan and I. He's a dear friend, and um, we just cherish this letter. But in, in the letter, he writes this. Every person who came into my hospital room seemed like a particular fascinating miracle of existence. An unforced love flowed out of me toward each person. I didn't have my old standards of reciprocity, worthiness, or hierarchies. I didn't feel like I was a source of love, but it seemed to flow through me to each person. I delighted in each new person who entered the room. Despite the physical pain I felt, it was a time of joy. When Megan read this letter to me out loud, I turned to her and I said, I want that surgery. Okay, not literally, not, not, not literally, but I want the impact of that surgery. I would love to just every person I meet to see them as a particular fascinating miracle of existence, to have an unforced love flow out of me, to get rid of those old standards of reciprocity and judging people on hierarchies, just to say, look, this person is delightful, magnificent. They're a masterpiece. I pray that you would know that about yourself and that that would be able to flow through you into everyone you meet. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, as now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hey folks, I want to let you know about a recent development here at Friends University where I teach. We have an undergraduate degree program in Christian spiritual formation, a Bachelor of Arts degree, that's both a first and a second major. Now, I teach in this program, as well as some other amazing professors, and I am pleased to announce that Friends University is offering an amazing scholarship of up to $18,000 per year to students interested in studying Christian formation as a part of their college experience. In addition to this amazing scholarship, there'll be hands-on learning with ministry leaders, working with me and others, and great opportunities for internships. Again, this is for both a first major, those who plan on going into ministry, as well as those seeking it as a second major, meaning those who are going to become accountants or therapists or graphic designers or teachers or engineers, any number of other vocations, but they also want to grow in their spiritual lives while in college and get a pretty big scholarship to help pay for college. If you know someone who would benefit from a degree like this, maybe it's a nephew, a niece, a friend, someone in your church, some young person who's looking for college, where to go, please check out our website at friends.edu to learn more. Again, it's friends.edu. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.